Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. Praise God. Amen. It's good to see everyone. Amen. Um, I'll bring a situation to mind that you'll probably be familiar with. And um, if you're anything like me, you always feel a bit kind of indifferent toward it. So maybe you're going for a, a job application, maybe you're going for a, a benefits application, or some kind of formal submission of a form, and you get to that part where it's the equal opportunities monitoring form. We all love the equal opportunities monitoring form, right? Where you then have to kind of Define yourself within the categories that you're presented with. Now, it's hard enough to answer somebody when they say, where do you come from? Do they mean, where do you come from in London? Do they mean, where were you born? Or do they mean, where's your your country of origin or heritage? And so there's many different answers to something that's quite a, a simple question as, where do you come from? And yet, these forms tend to try us and try our patience as they would have us try and define what category we fit into. Now, we have that experience and we face the challenge of identity. We face the challenge of being able to define who we are according to people's expectations. We know who we are. We don't need any further definition for our own benefits. I would suggest that maybe most are quite comfortable in who you are. And yet, having to meet someone else's expectation in defining who you are can be quite challenging. And so as we consider that in the context of church and our expectations of each other, and furthermore, our expectations of those who are the lost, and them coming in to be a part of what we recognize to be the body of Christ, the people of God, the family of God. It can be as much, if not more so, a challenge for the person coming in to our community to find their place and how they fit in. And so we'll consider that as we look at Acts 15, verses 1 to 22. And um, I'll read and then pray. Reading from the ESV. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. Verse 4. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders. 
and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophet agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy toward us. Father, you gave us your son, who paid the ultimate price to make one people of every nation. He gave his very life, he shed his very blood that we through faith by your grace Lord would be accepted among the beloved and yet even here Lord we see the challenge of acceptance the conditions being placed upon acceptance and Lord we ask that you would teach us today teach us Lord to be accepting teach us Lord Not to be discriminating. 
Teach us, Lord, to be inclusive as we welcome your people into your family. Speak to us today, I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, discrimination. Some say it doesn't exist in the church today. Some say it's not a problem. And the reality is that even among us, in some ways, it exists. Because it's true for all people that we all have our prejudices. They may not be strong and overwhelming prejudices, but we all have our prejudices. To have prejudice is to prejudge someone not knowing them. So making a judgment of someone, normally based on presumption, but not having any personal knowledge or understanding of who they are and what they're like. Now, when we look at the scriptures, we see clearly God's intent to reach the nations through his people Israel. And in fact, this isn't something that just occurs to us at the Great Commission, but even from back in the Old Testament, we see that this was God's intention. So in Isaiah chapter 56, verses 1 to 8, we see the Lord God revealing his intention to reach the nations. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness. For soon my salvation will come and my deliverance be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let not the foreigner, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. See the concern? God's concern that the foreigner would not come to join himself to the people, to his people, and then be separated or discriminated against or feel as though they are going to be some kind of second class, second rate part of the family. You know, they say the black sheep of the family. It's probably not politically correct to say that, right? Maybe with good reason. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, the eunuch, one who is unable to father children. You could read, and let not the single say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants. 
Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. A house of prayer for all peoples. Now, maybe at some time or another, you personally in your experience of church, whether here, and I don't say it wouldn't happen here, or elsewhere, have felt like an outcast, have felt like a second-class Christian or a a lower-ranking part of God's family. Maybe you are single and feel like the church is so family-slash-marriage-centric that it doesn't really appreciate or even seek to understand your focus on the Lord and your commitment to singleness. Even though Jesus said in the Gospels, blessed are those who are eunuchs for the kingdom's sake, who separate themselves and and commit themselves to the Lord in celibacy. Now, obviously, to to be made a eunuch is the most extreme form of celibacy, right? Because nothing ain't happening after that. If you don't know what a eunuch is, rather than have any blushes, just look it up on Google. (laughs) But maybe as a single person, you've been made to feel discontent in your singleness because of this pressure from others to be hooked up. Maybe you've felt that sense of being an outcast because you're a divorcee. And having been in a relationship and being reminded of the fact that God hates divorce, feeling, even though it may not have been your cause, as though you're some kind of second-rate Christian. And yet, as we look at the end of this passage in Isaiah 56, in verse 8, the Lord God says, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Now, I always used to read that back in the day and take that to mean a place where all people will be prayed for. You get what I'm saying? So the people of God will come together and pray for all peoples. But it means so much more than that. It actually means that the house of God will be a place where all peoples can come and pray. Where all peoples can come and pray. Now, in Mark 11, we see an occasion where Jesus was at his most aggressive where he was at his most angry, when he made a whip of cords and was turning over tables 
beating the animals. And some even say beating the people. And he quotes this verse. And he says, my house will be a house of prayer for all people. And yet you have made it a den of robbers. Jesus takes seriously the issue of inclusion. Jesus, I'm going to say it again. Thank you, my brother. Jesus takes seriously the issue of inclusion. Now, there are certain times when we see Jesus get read in the scriptures. But none more so than on this occasion. When the religious leaders were putting obstacles and hindrances in the way of the people coming to freely worship God. They were trying to add a tax, a surcharge to the temple offerings. They were trying to con the people because when they came to make their offerings, they could only do so with the temple shekel. And yet they were charging extortionate exchange rates. You know like when you go on holiday and you forget to change your money before you get to the airport and you go to Bureau de Change. I won't mention any brand names. And you go to Bureau de Change and you're like, are you serious? Is that how much the commission is? Is that how much I'm going to get for my money? Oh, Lord have mercy, I should have gone to the post office. Because you're there. You're about to get on your flight. You're a captive purchaser. They know you can't do no better at that stage. The reality is that that's what the religious leaders were doing in their attempts to, to, to profit of those who were coming to make sacrifices in the temple. And in doing so, they were making it hard. They were putting obstacles in front of people. We see this immediately in Acts 15. We see how previously in Acts chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas had been going around preaching. They had been to Lystra, to Iconia, They had been in the regions of the Gentiles. And as they had been there, they had had a mixed reception. But there were many Gentiles who had believed and responded to the gospel. And so, as they arrive at Antioch, they are sharing of the news of what God has been doing. And yet there were some who came from Judea, verse 1. Some who came from Judea and were teaching the brothers. And notice, this, was, this wasn't casual comments. This wasn't just a, a kind of a passing statement. This was an intentional agenda to teach this doctrine to people. They were teaching the brothers Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, they were bringing falsehood. 
And they would have been very influential because these guys were coming from Judea, which is where Jerusalem is. And so they could be regarded as being from among the elite. These are guys that have come from amongst the apostles and the elders. These are guys who may have been there in the upper room amongst 120. Wow, surely we've got to listen to them. And so they begin to exert their influence. We can see here why God says that he is no respecter of persons. You see, one of the ways in which we can exert undue influence and hindrance to people is by trying to pull, well, you know how long I've been a Christian? You know how long I've been in this church? I was in this church when it was planted in an in adventure in Dog Canal. Oh, well, you know um, which Bible college I've been to? Yeah, I've done the online study program. I know a few Greek words, a bit of Hebrew for you. And immediately we can try and pull rank and create distinction between ourselves and others because of our quote-unquote perceived status in our own minds. But this is just the means by which division and as it says in verse 2, verse two no small dissension will arise. The reality is that God is no respecter of persons. And we must guard our hearts against pride. We must guard our hearts against even falsely esteeming others and only wanting to listen to them but not listen to some others because, well, you know, I know, you know what, what studies they've been doing. I, I know. No. Uh, the songwriter once said that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Everyone's on the same level. No one's got status. No one's got any kind of accolades above another. The one with the accolade is Jesus. And so as we'll see, we're to give all credit to him. We're to give all esteem to him. And even as in a few chapters later in Acts 17, we see the apostle Paul himself teaching the Bereans. He commended them. Why? Because they were people who searched the scriptures to see that it was so. Now he could have got offended. You know who I am? I, I am Paul, once Saul of Tarsus, Hebrew of Hebrews. I was of the Pharisees of the tribe of Benjamin and I met the Lord personally on the road to Damascus. You refuse to receive from me? You would search the scriptures when I give you the word? Now, he could, you could, he could say that, right? But no, he commended them. It's like, praise God, you do well. God is no respecter of persons. In Galatians 1, he says, even if I or an angel come and give you another gospel, let him be accursed, anathema. And so it doesn't matter if it's me, Pastor P, Pastor Rob, any one of the elders, any one of the people that you esteem, bring in divisive talk, 
Search the scriptures. And you know, you might need to come alongside and say, you know what, I've been hearing what you're saying, you know, and um, I've been looking at the word and I need you to help me to kind of understand this because, now I say it like that because our temptation might be, that's wrong, that's heresy, that's error, because you know what the Bible says? And then we want to go to war and be just as bad. And so in our endeavor to be inclusive, we must be completely reliant on the authority of the scripture. Amen? And as James stands in verse 15 to speak to the people in response, he says, And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. So he considers the discussion that has gone on. He considers the evidences that God has demonstrated signs and wonders and miracles. But fundamentally, he doesn't base his decision on those things apart from the fact that those things agree with Scripture. Just as the prophets have said. And so in that is our safety. Now they take this matter to Jerusalem and they go before the apostles and the elders. And as they do so, they describe all that the Lord has done. And after much debate, Peter stands and he speaks of his experience in Acts chapter 10. And he basically explains, look, this was God's intention. You know that God gave me a vision of the animals in the sheet coming down from the heaven. And he says to me, Peter, go kill and eat. And I said, no, Lord, how can I do such a thing? These are unclean animals. And God turns and says, what I have cleansed, let no man call common. And as a result of that, he awoke from the trance. And Cornelius comes to his door. As he awakes, Cornelius is an an Italian soldier, a Roman, a Gentile. And the Lord instructs Peter to go and open the door and give him the gospel. Because the gospel is for all people. And there are times when there are people that we might look at as unclean. No, they're, 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 too, they're not ready for the gospel. So God needs to do some work on them first before they're ready for the gospel. I remember I was in California at a um, youth camp. And we were sharing music and speaking at this youth camp. And there was a a young girl that I remember during one of the break times, everybody's out playing basketball and so on, and I I was just sitting down. And um, she came and sat down beside me. And we started talking music. And um, she was, I don't even know what the right term is, because I don't even really know that culture. I just know she was dressed in black from head to toe. Tattoos and piercings. I don't know if it was goth or emo. Maybe emo is the new goth. I don't know. But I know that she didn't look to me like a Christian. My first mistake. So we started talking music and, you know, she was talking about bands that she's into and if I'd ever heard of them. And I'm thinking, are you actually serious? (laughs) You think I've ever heard of any of them screaming, shouting, (laughs) bands? And she's saying these names and I'm just thinking, furthermore, I don't even know if they're Christian or not. And you're asking me, 
So I said to her, I said, oh, so like, are these, like, whereabouts are these bands from? Like, which band do you listen to most? Um, Whereabouts are they from? And she was like, oh, yeah, well, there's a, there's a band that's from a church near me. And I, and I was like, okay, you go to church. That's a good start. <laughs> Long story short, we got talking, and the Lord rebuked me in the midst of that conversation. Rebuked me sorely to the point where I had to, I had to be honest with her. And I said, you know what, I'll be honest with you, right? And this might have been about after half an hour or so. I said, look... I really, I I judged you, you know, because when you first came to sit down, I thought you was one of those kids that came on the youth camp because your parents made you come and you weren't a Christian. And it's clearly evident from our conversation that you love Jesus. Her concern was for her relationship with the Lord in view of the fact that there was a guy that liked her and she knew that she wasn't ready for that kind of relationship because it would not glorify Christ. She wasn't ready to go down the road of marriage, but she was trying to deliberate and pray. And she said, you know, I've been praying and, I, and I've been in some fasting. And I was like, Lord of mercy. Look how I judged the girl. I just took her on face value. I see piercings, tattoos, and all black. Black lipstick, black eyeliner, black fingernails, everything black. Skull on the t-shirt and all them kind of business there. And this is a few years back, you know, before it was really kind of even like you got all of that stuff in hip-hop culture now. But before it was becoming like more popularized. So it looked extreme to me. You know what I mean? She even had black hair. It's crazy. (laughs) But I had to apologize and ask her to forgive me for misjudging her. And I thought to myself, "Hmm, imagine if she didn't know the Lord. What would, what, how would my attitude to her be inviting? How would my attitude to her have been inclusive? It definitely wouldn't. And in my mind, I'm looking at her like, quote unquote, unclean. Some, Lord, you need to do some, some, some amendments, make some edits to where this girl's at before she could ever really be serious about you. And yet, she was very serious, probably more so than I was, to be honest. And so, when God says to Peter, do not call common or unclean what I have cleansed, it is a a straight word to us. He even goes on in verse 8. And God who knows the heart. We look on the outward appearance, but God knows the heart. God knows the heart. And sometimes we like to play God. And we like to look at a person, look at a situation, and make up our mind and feel confident in that. And I'm... Anyway, Judith will tell you. I'm often guilty of that. Judith will say, all right, God Almighty, you know everything. (laughs) But the reality is that we don't know the heart and we can't judge a book by its cover.
It says, God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them having cleansed their hearts by faith. See, they're clean. As they respond to God, as they respond to the work of God's spirit in them, drawing him to, him, to himself, drawing them to Christ, the Holy Spirit is the cleansing agent. I know if somebody like that girl walked in and professed Christ, gave her life to the Lord, if I'm honest, I'd be looking at her like, praise God, well done, wonderful. Now, let's see how long it is before we can kind of get you out of them black clothes <laughs> and get the black makeup off. I'll have to sign you to one of the sisters who's really going to, not disciple you, you know, go through your wardrobe. <laughs> and so we can have expectations of people and expectations of people having to fit this kind of particular image, this pro forma, in order to regard them as genuinely a Christian. And what happens is this. When people don't fit that picture, we're standoffish. When people don't fit that picture, we don't, we're, not, we're not inviting. And then you get talk about where there's so many cliques and so many... And at some point or another, we've all felt like that, right? Like you've got the in crowd over here. What do I need to do to kind of fit in? Do I need to dress differently or change my music preference or know more theology or... You know what I'm saying? These things are hindrances that do not please God. They are forms of discrimination. And the reality is, as we see in verse 9, that God makes no distinction between them and us. God sees us just the same. And yet, we see that they are saved by grace. The same grace by which we're saved. Now think about grace for a minute. Ephesians 2 tells us that salvation is by grace through faith. It is the gift of God. Amen? So we have been accepted, welcomed, brought in to God's family by him as a gift. We understand that we didn't measure up to God's pro forma. We didn't fit God's picture. Because God's picture was Christ and none of us look like Jesus. None of us. And yet the Lord said, come, I'm going to give you a bringing. I'm going to show you favor. That's grace. We are saved by grace and yet Others who are responding to the grace of God are responding to that same grace. We should be all the more generous, all the more welcoming, all the more ready to go out of our way to be inviting and inclusive. 
All the more because we know we shouldn't even be in ourselves. But we get that kind of green eye monster. Back in the day, some of you used to go clubbing, right? Sorry, right, you don't have to say it, man. <laughs> I know. <laughs> now, I would say some of us, but that was never my portion. To be honest, I was brought up in church. I would have got beaten if I tried to go out clubbing. So, but some, some people, and, and I know, like, you know, I grew up on a state in Clapham, so guys used to go out clubbing and raving and whatever, talk about getting into clubs. And I always used to be kind of baffled. Because they'll be like, yeah, you know, we went, went to this, this club um, round, round Chinatown. There was one club around there. Um, whiskey. You see what I'm saying? Testify, brother. Shame the devil. <laughs> you know what? It's funny. Though. It's Pastor P I should be asking. Because I know Pastor P, used, that was his stomping ground, their place there. You know what I mean? And they chat about, oh, yeah, they know the, the guy on the door. And they got into the club. And then when they get into the club, they're now upset and screwing when other people that they know, that they're like, no, they're not on our levels, are getting brung into the club as well, like they're trying to run them out. Forgetting that they they got a freeness, they got brought in. And this is how we can be as Christians. We can be such that we forget that it's by grace we're saved. It's by grace we've been accepted in the beloved. And then fail to extend that grace to others. And so, God had done signs and wonders. And James stands to reply. And as he does, He says that the words of the prophets agree as it is written. After this I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it. Purpose clause. That the remnant, so that for the purpose, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of of old. And so, we are among those people who are the Gentiles, who were people who saw and witnessed and are able to testify to the work of God in Israel, as revealed in the person of Christ, he is the ultimate Jew. He's a Jew. (laughs) And we're not. And yet, He made himself available as sacrifice for us, fulfilling all the promises and predictions of the prophets. And in him, we are brought near. Jesus has brought us near. And we now are to continue to be that light to our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts. To be that light to our Lewisham and our London 
and England and the uttermost parts. We're to be that light. And that light is one of inclusion. You see, we may have a tendency to discriminate on a superficial basis. We may have a tendency, as it says in verse 19, to trouble people who attempt to come to God. To, tr- to, to make it hard for them, it says in one translation. To make it difficult for them. I remember growing up in church um, a number of occasions like that that I experienced personally or witnessed personally. I remember one day when uh, a guy just wandered in. I'd just come from the Sunday school run and I was um, at the back. Service had started. And I remember it was, it was quite a warm day and the guy had come along and he was wearing a, a pair of shorts and a t-shirt and one of the ushers was at the back there. He said, hello young man, can I help you? <laughs> He's like, yeah, yeah, I, I just thought I'd have a look in and, and um, yeah, just like see what church was about. She said, oh, in those shorts? Mm. Some of us know the whole dress code expectations. Now the thing that broke my heart was not really so much that I had to meet the dress code because that's all I knew anyway. But the fact that it was now a hindrance, an obstacle. When I would go out on the Sunday school van and pick up the kids for Sunday school and see, like we'd just be driving around blocks because I used to go to church in Brixton. And so we'd be going to the estates and everything around Brixton and And knowing that, you know what? There's people here, they ain't got a pair of shoes. Straight. If they had to go and see the bank manager or go for an interview or someone, they would be borrowing clothes from someone. To think that that's going to be a hindrance from them being able to receive the gospel and be amongst the people of God. Even I myself. I remember when I had hair. It's a while ago now. And my particular style of choice at the time was the short back and sides, the kind of kid and play look, for those who remember, the, the flat top, runway partings in the hair and so on. Hey, listen, I, I should show you two pictures, you know. You think I'm guessing. See, all these kids like doing throwbacks to the 90s now, wearing their, like, their, their space boots and, like, listen, been there and done that, innit? And I remember one time when I first got my hair cut like that. I remember this, this is one of the deacons that knew me from how I, I could walk. First started coming to the church. Hello, young man. You all right? I said, yeah. Yes, deacon so-and-so. Mentioned no names. Oh. So what is that on your head? What is that on your head, you know? <laughs> like it's some kind of hat, like I could just take it off. What is that on your head? I'm thinking, I got something in my hair, like a clock. Oh, it's just, it's just a haircut. A haircut? Hmm. You look like your backslide. 
You're still safe? And I, and I stood there. And I'm thinking to myself, wow. So I said, what does a Christian haircut look like? I got kind of riled now. I, like, I was about to get, step out of line, but I had to hold myself. I said, what does a Christian haircut look like then? Well, I don't think it looked like that. <laughs> And that, that provoked me. That provoked me because I knew there was people with their big Sunday Bibles. You know them big coffee table Bibles? Those family Bibles. And they would walk with those Bibles to church, you know, because it made them look holy. And they have on their, their, their suit and their tie. Come in there and they're beating their wife at home. Looking presentable. Looking Christian. Beating their wife. And so the hypocrisy just began to bother me. I remember there was a time when, you're going to laugh at this. You might not. (laughs) There was a time when, for guys, it was kind of in fashion to wear brooches. See, look. Certain people, certain people can give me a witness in there. Like, there was a time, you remember, there was a certain time, right? Especially in, in, the, in the Pentecostal church. Because men were looking for any opportunity to try and pop a style. Looking for any opportunity to try and like, man shaking his head, don't watch that, bro. Because we wouldn't have got nowhere with them, the beards. Trust me. Listen, so we had to try something to kind of show our little personality and individuality, you know? Now, I wasn't even really into the brooch thing, but I just, no, I wasn't really. But I wore one just to be provocative, you know, just to be rebellious. Go sing on the choir. I'd find one of my granny's brooch, and you'd put it on your next, like, right at the top button, like where you would put your tie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know about that ones, isn't it, bro? You get what I'm saying? Listen, and my whole contention was, I want to, I want to, I want to push against this because you're making trouble for people. You're making it hard for people to come to God. And listen, I don't even understand your reasoning. I don't understand. You have no basis. It seems there is no basis for this. It, things kind of came to a head. You probably heard this before. Things kind of came to a head when um, Judith and I were getting married and we went for our one session of marriage counseling before we got married. Yeah, one, that's all we had. That's all we was offered. <laughs> and the main topic of conversation, apart from one other thing, was this. If you, this is the pastor to Judith. If you come down the aisle, aisle, yeah. Wearing jewelry, I will not marry you. Well, I thought to myself, it's a good job anyway because I'm marrying her, so it's not worried. But he said, I will not marry you. If you come down the aisle with your head uncovered, I will not marry you. 
So I'm like, biting my lip. So I said, um, are you able to show me that in the Bible? And I just put my Bible on the table. I said, are you able to show me that in the Bible? Because I don't, I don't see that in the scriptures. Now, by this time, I'd been reading Mark 7 where Jesus was on a rant. He said, look, you Pharisees, you, 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 you promote the traditions of men and make the word of God of no effect. And I remember that rocked me to say, actually, something can make God's word of no effect. Like negate, nullify, quench the word of God. The word of God by which God spoke the worlds into existence and there was life. The traditions of men. So I weren't trying to have it. And so he said, well, in 1 Corinthians 11, so I said, amen, let's look there. I said, does it not say that a woman's hair is given her for her covering? Now, I didn't even understand it the way that I understand it now. But I knew that they was mishandling the word. Because even if you just take your time and read the text, it's, there's, there's a certain level of self-explanation there. Let alone, well, if you come in church, you must take off your cap. You know you're having a bad hair day. You went to the barbers. The barbers was packed. You never got seen. And it's like, you know what, let me just throw on a hat. You might... But hold on a second. Didn't the priests used to wear hats when they went into the Holy of Holies? So then, if God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, how do you now apply the fact that I have to take off my hat? When at one time, you couldn't go into God's presence without a hat. There must be something more to this. There must be something that we're not explaining clearly. And so, I resisted their resistance to cultural differences. And we ought to resist the resistance to cultural differences. Because there are two fundamental problems with that. People are hindered from coming to God and we are hindered from seeing the glory of God revealed in diversity. There are certain issues that James noted should be observed in verse 20. Abstain from things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality. And so, to those who were Gentiles, it was necessary that they have distinction within their culture and within their community. And so, idolatry and things associated with idolatry would distort their Christian witness, their Christian testimony amongst the other Gentiles, amongst the pagans. Sexual immorality, which was often a form and expression of worship. So you go to places like Corinth and Ephesus and they had temples and they would have temple prostitutes where people would go and as an expression of worship to their idol, to their false god, they would go and engage these prostitutes and pay for their services as an expression of worship. 
And so sexual, sexual immorality, which obviously is spoken against by Jesus, is spoken against in the scriptures, is such that it is not to be engaged in. The Gentiles do this. And they know it's wrong. And yet they do it. How can we who name the name of the Lord and hope to have any level of distinction, hope to have a a testimony of any integrity, be partaking by, by participating in sexual immorality? And you see, it shows that the onus is upon us when it comes to being consistent. Because there are so many of us, we're not consistent. We'll say, oh, that person's not even serious, listening to secular music. Oh, I saw that person have a glass of wine, you know. But then we will go and watch X-rated films. And we're reading those magazines and those blogs and those YouTube videos. And we're inconsistent with our quote-unquote own standards. That's hypocrisy. And so look, be consistent. Be integral. Let your testimony be clear. That people might understand that Jesus is truly Lord. And he is the power of God unto salvation. He goes on to say, and from what has been strangled and from blood... For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him. For he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. And so in those last two things, it's look, don't put these as a stumbling block to those who are coming out of Judaism. This will be a stumbling block to your fellowship. So these are now Messianic Jews. Jews who have had the revelation of Christ as the Messiah. And they come from a Jewish cultural background. And they still observe the cultural aspects knowing that it doesn't save them. I don't know if any of you have ever met a Messianic Jew. um, Or they say a completed Jew. Some people use that phrase. And they will still have their skull cap. And they will still observe the Sabbath. But they truly love Jesus because they recognize that Jesus is the fulfillment of those things. And they are not saved by doing those things. But culturally, they maintain a cultural identity. So we are not to put a stumbling block. Which is of gospel relevance. Before these people. We're not to put a stumbling block of gospel relevance. So saying somebody can't wear jeans to church is of no gospel relevance. But if we're reaching out to Muslims and saying that we're going to eat non-halal meat, that can be of gospel relevance, as we see in Romans 14. And so there are some things that as we engage with other cultures and as we seek to spread the gospel broadly to all peoples from all backgrounds, of all cultures, there are things that we must be prepared to forego. There are things that we must be prepared to give up if we truly love our brethren. 
Things that in and of themselves may not be bad, but they're of gospel relevance to that individual because of the associations, the religious associations that it has. And so we see a beautiful thing happen in verse 22. We see that the apostles and elders drafted this letter to go to the Gentiles saying, look, don't worry about the Moses business. You're saved by grace. It's okay. But just observe these things that we state here, that your testimony might be clear. That you might be consistent with the gospel. And what they done was, they sent a Jew and a Gentile to carry the letter. They picked Judas and Silas. And they were individuals who were noted as being leading men among the brothers. That's what we're looking for out here. Leading men and leading women amongst the brethren. People who are able to connect with others in a non-discriminatory way, in a welcome and inclusive way, inclusive way, in such a way that's going to carry the fragrance of Christ. And so these two brothers who were chosen, and it seems very intentionally, as being bridge builders to those who were receiving the gospel were sent forward with a good testimony. And so what's your testimony like? What's your testimony like? The best person to answer that is yourself. Because the reality is we know ourselves, right? And even where we don't, we, if we're honest and we ask the Lord to search our hearts and see if there be any wicked way in us and expose us. He shows us where we're lacking. He shows us where our prejudices are. He shows us where we need to repent and turn to him. And so let's reflect on that for a moment. Because Jesus gave his life that we as his people would be a house of prayer for all nations. Where people of all cultural and subcultural backgrounds would be able to come and feel accepted for who they are not patronized, not criticized, but welcomed. And Jesus rose from the dead and through him, through him we have received acceptance. And so whether it be our view of tattoos, whether it be our attitude towards women, 
whether it be our attitude towards styles of music, people's accents. Let us guard our hearts with all diligence. Lord, I pray that you would help us. That you'd help us to be an inclusive people. A people who consider others above ourselves. A people who intentionally and open-heartedly look to be welcoming, accessible, inviting toward others, Lord. People who may be a little like us but different. Lord, may we not be a people who just stick to ourselves, stick to our own. May we be a people who are bold and courageous because of the love that we've experienced in you that has caused us to be accepted, that gives us security, security enough to make ourselves vulnerable to reach out to others, that all fear would be banished by your love, Lord. So have your way among us, Lord, I pray. For your name and for your glory. find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.